0: I think that's one of the conversations that everybody needs to have is to say, take this holistic view and understand the economic benefits more than just to potentially the owner of that house, but the broader economic benefits that a short-term rental brings to the community as it brings more tourists in.
1: Going on STR Nation. Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets podcast. I'm your host Mike Shogren here with my main man and brother from another mother Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, B?
2: My brother. Good to see you. Uh it's a double day, which is always exciting. It's been a while, man. I feel like I I don't get to see you as often, so I'm very excited when we get to do double days. Just came back from a an inspection down in Wilton Manors, Florida. We have two units going up over there, so we passed our city inspection, which is always fun. Um, and then the real estate market, man, it's, it's a beautiful thing. The only thing I need is more and more houses to sell because I, I put one up on Tuesday. And by Tuesday night, I put it up at 3.30. By Tuesday night, we had about 25 showings requests, four offers, and we got our client a 45 50000 over asking offer, all cash, so it's just it's oh. a very interesting, it's a very interesting time. And it definitely feels very pleasant to be on the on the seller side. Cause I know my friends and, and myself, right? At when you are on the other side lately, it's very, very difficult. And, and you have to be very competitive and, and be advised by a very competitive agent as well. Because having the right agent on your side in a very competitive market, it's what's gonna make make all the difference. Because their relationship, 100%. their ability to negotiate and their knowledge. Of what it takes to get an offer accepted, I had somebody that offered me offered three thousand dollars over asking price in one of the hottest markets of the last ten years. And you're just like, you're not advising your clients like this is not yeah. like it's not I'm not like it's not just it's I'm not being fake. It's just the market. You, it's it's not you're not setting up your clients for any kind of success by submitting an offer like that. And you need to educate yourself and educate your clients because you have a responsibility. You know what I mean? And like. A three thousand dollar over asking when I got fifty thousand over asking on the actual other side. Like yeah, it's crazy. You know, we
1: are recording on St. Patrick's Day, so happy St. Patrick's Day, by the way. So maybe somebody will get some luck of the Irish and close some deals today. We'll we'll see how that
2: goes. Yeah. (laughs) And and this is water, just I said cheers, but I'm not drinking as of yet. It's Pellegrino, it's his fancy water.
1: He's not drinking a 40 on the air right now. (laughs) Anyway, man, things are good. Uh Excited! We've got a we've got a different perspective today on the show from our guest, which I'm which I'm excited to bring on here in just a second. So today we've got Pam Nudson on the show. She's an executive at Avalara. They're a leading multi-tax teams, including she's the leader. She's an executive over at Avalara. We haven't had them on the show. I'm excited to have them because they do a lot um, more on the compliance and tax stuff, which for most of us is painful to do so they'll just take it and do it all for you so she's an executive over there she leads the multi-tax teams including lodging beverage alcohol telecommunications and sales and use tax she serves as a leading voice in vacation rental tax compliance and regulation in addition bringing an in-depth experience across software and SaaS technology as well as erp systems and she joined avalara in 2012 so she's a veteran over there so without further ado pam welcome to the show thanks for being here
0: thank you very much for having
1: me yeah absolutely so uh so you've been there 10 years now so yeah let's walk us back how did you end up at avalara
0: So Avalara started as a small company on a place called Bainbridge Island, Washington, which is where I lived. And so Mm -hmm. it just, it was kind of a natural fit for me to go there. I went in managing kind of some of our customer facing teams um, and then switched to compliance a few years after that and have been part of the compliance, part of the organization for six plus years now, so. It's very been a cool. fun ride and, and the company has grown drastically. Our headquarters are now based in Seattle and then we have a second East Coast headquarters in Durham, North Carolina.
2: Mm. So, those are cool. big cities. That's how you can tell you guys you guys grew a lot. There's a lot of big players in all of those companies, in all of the cities.
1: Yep. Um, yeah. From a high level, just to set the stage, I know I like briefly mentioned what it does, but for the folks that don't know Avalara... Could you kind of give a a high-level description of how they serve specifically the short-term rental industry, just for a little more clarity?
0: Sure. So for the short-term rental rental industry, we do everything from starting off with getting uh, your licenses and registrations so that you can collect and remit the lodging tax that you're required to do and do it the way you're supposed to. So we'll start that. Um, Then as you report revenue, we'll calculate what the tax should be on that. And then we'll file and remit those returns to the jurisdiction so that you remain in compliance. So you don't ever put your standing and your ability to use your, your unit as a short-term rental in jeopardy.
1: Love it. Love it. So again, it's like the total non-sexy stuff that is absolutely necessary (laughs) to run your business. And they just take care of all of it for you. So I love it. So go ahead. Exactly you. right. Okay. Yeah. If I just want to say, My
2: but. my question was, and I know you're you're one of the advocates and you take care of this, was being very interesting. Which I wanted to kind of hear from your perspective is over mm-hmm. the last six years, short-term rental industry has become more and more accepted. So I'm curious to know from your guys' side what the past six years have been.
0: The growth has been phenomenal. It's been great to see the growth in the short-term rental industry across the board. You know, We've also seen a lot of legislative changes related to that as they become more and more popular. And taxing authorities and jurisdictions are realizing that this is an industry that has somewhat been able to run a little bit or fly a little bit under the radar. And they're now getting a lot stricter. And especially as they start to look at the platforms like Airbnb and Verbal and in having, having those platforms help them enforce compliance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so, I guess a million dollar question in my mind, at least, and I think on everybody's mind, is where, where is it going? So, is it going to become easier, like more friendly to do it, less friendly? Where, where do you think, from, from your perspective, what do you think is going to happen?
0: That's a good question, and there's a lot of debate around that. Um, You know, the the industry in and of itself is booming, and especially during the pandemic, the short-term rental industry, and especially in rural communities, was not hit nearly as hard as a lot of the other lodging industry was, because people were looking for places where they could go get away, that were within driving distance, that they could go stay, you know, manage their environment, not have to be in a shared lobby or in a shared elevator. So it really wasn't hit as hard in the pandemic as some of the other parts of the lodging industry. And because of that, and also because during the last two years, we've all learned that we can work from home. Um, it's also enabled this concept of saying, I can go stay someplace for longer. I can work from there during the day. My kids can do their online school during the day. I mean, it, it really kind of expanded the options that made short-term rentals even more attractive to a lot of people. So I think the industry is absolutely continuing to grow. And I think because of that, you'll see some of these other factors come into play that have to do not only with compliance, but with how communities view short-term rentals term rentals. And I think that's one of the struggles that a lot of communities are really starting to look at and go through and determine how to balance that out.
1: Yeah, we we're talking offline a little bit about that. And I guess just for context, I mean, I have a Google notification set up that I get like an email every day about Airbnb and short term rental regulations. And you know, every day there's like new stuff coming out all over the country. What are, I guess, some of the common things that you guys are seeing that are coming up in those discussions, right? The the most common one that I hear is like, Oh, you know, there's a lack of affordable housing. You guys are taking inventory off the street. You know, are there, what are some of the common things that you guys are seeing, I guess, to help fight the good fight and make sure everybody stays in compliance, you know, listening to the cities and trying to work with them. What's been some of the big things on their mind?
0: So I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, you know, there is a conversation around affordable housing that's definitely coming up, you know, some of the other things that are coming up have to do with noise or parking or, you know, trash. People are afraid of party houses and those types of things. And I think one of the things that, you know, especially the owners of the short-term rentals can really do is to help people to understand this is an investment for them. They don't want to be bad neighbors. They don't want to have the party houses. They don't want their house ruined that like, it's an investment, Um, you know? So they have a vested interest in making sure this all works well. And just how do we go about doing that? What are the different ways that we can do that? And then, you know, and that's where the jurisdictions have to balance out, you know, kind of both sides of this and and provide that voice of, of objectivity to say, look, here's the benefits on both sides. So you may be a small business owner in this community. You don't like the short-term rentals, but those people in those short-term rentals do business at your business. So, you know, if, they, if they're not here, it hurts your business. So, Mm -hmm. you know, are you balancing these things out? And I think that's one of the conversations that everybody needs to have is to say, take this holistic view and understand the economic benefits more than just to potentially the owner of that house, but the broader economic benefits that a short-term rental brings to the community as it brings more tourists in.
2: Yeah. So are you guys seeing a clear correlation there between places that used to allow and then decided to not allow or to restrict? a clear impact on their overall economical health of the specific area? Like, is there clear ways of seeing like, look government, like this is, we used to make this much money and now we ban vacation rentals and we're not allowing them and we actually went down by this much and we can clearly see that these two things are...
0: Yeah, so the Harvard Business Review actually did a study that talks about exactly that, that, you know, as as communities start to limit or decrease short-term rentals, that there is a negative economic impact from the tax dollars and not just lodging tax, but sales tax and everything else that comes into those communities. And then the burden of that decreased revenue ends up getting felt by the long-term residents because all of those services that their city provides still have to be paid for. It doesn't change simply because you don't have as many people in short-term rentals. It's still all is there. The streets are still there, you know, all law enforcement still has to be paid for. So it's a really interesting, you know, kind of discussion and dynamic to help people to understand that kind of broader, more holistic view of what this all is.
1: Yeah, for sure. And have you seen any of the cities that kind of, decided to play ball for back of a letter word, lack of a better term, I guess, you know, allowing short-term rentals with certain rules in place. Are you seeing any common threads with what they're putting in place?
0: Um, A lot of them are putting, so there are some common threads. A lot of them are putting in place things like, um, you know, the number of parking spaces or the number of vehicles you can have parked at a house, Um, you know, noise monitoring requirements where you have to have something like whether it be Google Home or Nest or something where you know you can monitor the noise level of a house that limits the number of people that you can have in a house so that you can't try and fit you know 15 people into a house that's designed to sleep for kind of thing so they're putting a lot of regulations in place around those types of things some of them are putting regulations in place around length of stay that there might there must be a minimum number of length nights of stay you can't come in and stay for a night because those are the ones that may tend to be a little bit more on the party side we're coming in for a concert we all want to do this and then we're going to leave the next day kind of thing so some of them are doing that you know in support of some of that you know even some of the platforms like airbnb or verbo are also starting to have not only do you can you rate where you stayed but that the property owner can rate the guest and so the guests can get a rating too that says this guest was really good. They left the house in good condition. They did this. But then they're also, for certain things that are might be more prone to kind of the party environment, they're putting limits and saying, nope, if you're coming in, you have to rent for two or three days minimum. You can't rent for more than that. If there's a big event that's a concert or something, they're not letting just single night rentals occur. So there's a lot of people and a lot of organizations working in conjunction to really kind of help make sure that these short term rentals remain good neighbors.
1: It makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious on how they monitor that. Not that I would challenge it or you know you want to play by the rules and grow your business the right way, but I'm curious like does Airbnb feed them data or like different platforms feed them data on like hey these are all the one night stays or these are all the two night stays when you got a seven night minimum. I think long term I feel like that's going to come. Like yeah. as, as the regulations progress and as this industry matures, where it's going to be like, all right, you want to play ball? Like we need to have access to, I don't, we don't need names or whatever, but like, you know, whatever data they're going to want so that they can actually like enforce a lot of this stuff. Cause people ask me all yeah. the time, like, how do I get around it? Or they're not going to catch me. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, you can trying really to play that. that game, but like, <laughs> I, you know, you're building a your business on sand. Yeah. Like
2: Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's all longevity based. That's my opinion every time. Right. And we have a friend in common, that is looking to invest down in Miami Beach. And Miami Beach is one of those markets that they have specific roads where you can do it, specific areas where you can do it. And it's like, what if I go in those other areas? I'm like, it's just not worth it. Because to me, like the thing, and and very similar to what Pam was saying, if you are going to do this as an investment, one of the key metrics to any investment is longevity. So you can calculate your returns over time. No investment, especially a house, is never going to make sense if you only run it for three to six months, because then you get caught. Right. So the longevity of the investment has to be part of it. And it's not worth it because then that's also the reason why we have trouble. Right. Like that's the reason why the city decides to ban it, because it's very easy for people to get together on 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 the negative. And unfortunately, a lot of hosts have given people plenty of opportunity to to have reasons. Right. So it, it makes sense. You know, so if you have if we have a listener now that is like, I hate doing numbers, I hate paying the taxes, which is me. Right. And I was telling them off air, I had to get up super early, a couple of days ago to just file my returns because they're due. And so you need to file them because if not a nice man from the government calls you, is like, hey, your return is late. Pay it now or we're going to shut you, shut you down. Right. What does that service look like? So like, do you guys I know you said that, like, you do the registration, but what do they need to provide? Do, do you go into their property management software? How, how does that work?
0: So typically what happens is once they're registered, so the registration process varies by jurisdiction. Everybody's got a little bit different requirements. So we gather the information so that we can get it registered. But once they're registered and they're actually functioning, then once a month, they simply come in and they tell us what their revenue was for that month and where that revenue came from. Um, And, you know, was it booked through Airbnb? Was it booked directly? Was it booked through Verbo? They put that information into our system and then we take it from there. So it's a quick come in for five ten minutes put this information in boom it moves on and then what we do is we take that information we know where airbnb or verbo are paying on behalf of for example, the property owner. So we take that out of what the property owner owes, and then we calculate and we calculate all the tax, and we say, okay, then you owe this amount. That's what we put on the return. We file the return, um, and we simply pull funds through an automated process from their bank account that then we can send to the jurisdiction in payment of the liability. And it's really simple, really straightforward. Most of our customers don't have to do anything with the system more than once a month for about 10 minutes. <laughs>
2: that's amazing guys it took me to do my unit between i think i started like 5 15 in the morning i was done by like 9 30 and again you're like E, we know you that's probably why which i'm not saying you guys are wrong like you know i mean i'm not the sharpest tool in the box but again somebody like pam that 10 minutes especially like going back to like avery's episode from last week pam can be part of your system and if you have a weakness and your weakness is numbers working on it is just going to make you more frustrated. Whereas instead you can just give it to Pam and then focus on the other areas of your business where you have your highest and best use. And then just let Pam do what Pam does and your business runs better. And also if you are a manager and you have multiple units, having somebody like Pam on your team is a great selling point with your owners and the property that you manage because you're like, I don't even do this myself. I hire somebody that's a professional that pays and remits your taxes. We make sure that everything is kosher. Everything is done right. Why not, right? So there's definitely a lot of advantages.
0: Yeah. and is we'll make way? sure it's done on time because that's one of the things is that a lot of people... They're like, oh, yeah, I got to do this. And then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, 4 p.m. on the 20th and it's due by five or whatever. And they're like, oh, no, oh, no. And, you know, kind of last minute crunch. And
2: That's they don't true. have to worry about that with us. You don't, you don't need to call me out in front of everybody, Pam. <laughs> 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 Does
1: Does Avalara integrate with any like property management systems to like pull the data or how does that yep. work?
0: We okay. can. Absolutely. We have an ability to write like a custom API that can pull the data in so that it becomes even more automated.
1: Yeah. I love that. Cause I know yeah. that's, that's part of it too, especially as you scale, right? When you got one or two right. units, it's like, oh, I can just grab that. Especially if you're only on Airbnb or Verbo, whatever, it's pretty Crazy. quick. Yeah. But as you start to scale, even just pulling those numbers, you should be doing it anyway. You need to know your numbers. Right? right. Like, if you know that it's automatically going to get sent over there and taken care of, it's just one less thing that you got to worry about, which mm-hmm. is awesome.
0: Yeah, Yep. So we have ways to do that. Yeah.
1: And the last thing you so, want to do is piss the town off. Like that's right. <laughs> or the state, like you don't want the department of revenue coming after you. Like it's just not worth it. So
0: no, love it. So, love and it. you know, and these, again, these, these jurisdictions are working with like Airbnb and Verbo to say, look, in order for you to have this listing on your site, you have to have the permit number the license number that they've done from their registration. And then, you know, they're in a sense going through and auditing Airbnb and Verbo in that, for properties in that jurisdiction to make sure that the license number is there. So it's a way again to help enforce compliance. So they're really starting to partner with these bigger platforms to make sure that this happens.
1: Yeah. I know at least in like Massachusetts where we've got some units, you can't even list it. Like it won't let you publish it until you put the TDT number in there with your certificate. That's right. so. Yeah. Same. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> so Avalar has, you know, really grown substantially over the last few years, I guess, where do you, where do you see this going for, for the company and for the industry?
0: So the company has grown. You know, I, I often somewhat laugh when I joined the company, I think I was employee number 250 or 300, and now we're somewhere between five, we're around 5,000 employees globally. Um, So, you know, in addition to our offices in the United States, we have an office in Brighton in the UK, we have an office, we have a couple of offices in Pune, India. So we have offices in Brazil, we have kind of have offices everywhere um, and I can see I see this continuing to grow you know that that we're expanding into for especially for the short-term rentals that we're expanding into the international market we started off as a us-based service but we're definitely looking to expand into the US or to the international market so that we're handling the taxes the lodging taxes you know in France or Italy or whatever uh, which is different similar but different um, you know similar sim- like sales and use tax versus the VAT tax. It's a similar scenario, but it's different. And so, you know, we're continuing to grow. And again, the short-term rental market within the U.S. is just continuing to grow um, and expand because, you know, it's a way for people to have that second vacation home in a community that they love and that they want to go visit, but they don't, you know, they don't want to live there full time. So, you know, I know I want to go skiing a lot. Great. Let's find a place in Breckenridge that I can use when I went to, but on the offset, you know, outside of that, I can rent it out to help pay for that. And it's just a continuing market that's gonna going to keep growing. It's, it's, it's fun to watch. It's fascinating to see. It's great to be a part of. And, awesome. and you, you
2: got to love when the numbers people are excited about expansion <laughs> because you know that they have done their homework and they're not just expanding for the sake of expansion, right? Like it, it need like there is a need. And the fact that like the need, as you can see, it's, It's so global, which is like kind of the best and the worst part of our reality now is that everything is global. So like the same growth that we experience here is global. Like my friends in Italy are paying a lot of money for gas the same way as we're doing here, right? So the pain points and the pain and the pleasures that we feel throughout the world, they're becoming more and more in alignment with each other, right? And so it makes sense that the growth in vacation rentals here experience everywhere.
1: Yeah. One, one technical question I was going to ask, and I think this may help a lot of the folks that are managing or co-hosting properties. So when they go to register a property and this may vary, but when they go to register the property, should the property get registered in the, in the homeowner's name? Meaning does the homeowner have to register it or can they register it under their management company? Cause I think, I think I've seen it done both ways, but I'm curious from your standpoint, like how people are doing it.
0: And it is done both ways. And there is some variation based on, you know, some jurisdictional requirements. In a lot of cases, there needs to be a registration that's in the homeowner's name, but then the property manager can be registered as kind of the responsible party. So it it does vary a little bit jurisdiction by jurisdiction. uh, And it really kind of depends on who's responsible for the liability, but who also is responsible for making sure that the the unit is in, whether it's a house or a condo or whatever it is, but that the unit is in compliance with all of the regulations that come along with having a short-term rental. And those are, you know, those are so different across the country. There's, you know, there's some jurisdictions in California, for example, that require a home inspection to get a short-term rental permit. You know, there's others that require the homeowner to go in and get fingerprinted before they can get a permit. I mean, it's, it is. <laughs> that's a little. Oh, I haven't heard that.
1: I've had the home inspection thing before, but yeah,
2: not Yeah, wow. I just came yeah. from from one of those a home inspection, but fingerprint.
0: Yeah. So oh, it, wow. it does vary widely across but the that's, country. Is that for the homeowner or for
2: the manager or for whoever the homeowner,
0: registered? the homeowner, wow. whoever owns these properties. i could just, imagine. I just imagine. to go in and get fingerprints. Tell my yeah. client.
2: Like imagine going on. I'm like, hey buddy, you have to go register for fingerprints. I was like, for what? What? What did you do? I'm like, nothing. It's just this, this city. This, this city wants you to do it. It's just, I swear, it's not me. Yeah. Oh man, so, it's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a favorite market that you see from your side? Which is maybe a weird question, but is there a market that you're like, this market is great, or like, is there a location that you're like, we pay the most amount of taxes here? That you can tell us, maybe some kind of trends on your side
0: yeah i mean it varies you know you see places like florida that have a high level of short-term rentals just because of the nature of it hawaii is another one you know any place that's got a really high either um you know, tourist population or, you know, kind of snowbird population where people are there for part of the year, but not necessarily for all of it. You know, you'll Mm -hmm. see a little bit more there, but we see it everywhere. You know, ski areas or, you know, any place that's a very tourist oriented, you'll see a lot more, Um, but, you know, again, it's expanding across the board and, and really the pandemic has shifted people's thought process around this so much because now, because they can work remotely, they're like, oh, I can go to Orlando for three weeks instead of going for a weekend or a long week, or I can go to Breckenridge and go skiing for three weeks. And I can work during the day, and I can ski in the afternoon, or I can ski on the weekend without having to drive constantly back and forth, all of those things. So we're seeing a a little bit of a shift in the length of stay that people are doing this because they can. And Mm -hmm. so, and I think that's why you'll continue to see it to grow is because they've really started to, people have really started to understand this can be, you know, kind of a home away from home Um, and it can be more cost-effective because you can buy your own groceries, cook your own meals, all of that. You don't have to eat out for every single thing. So it's a really interesting, uh, it's been a really interesting dynamic to see what's happened over the past two years.
1: Yeah. I love it. And people, you know, we've, we talked about this on the podcast before, but I feel like it really. It accelerated the industry at a very rapid rate Yes. because a lot of people, they wanted to get out and they wanted to do those things, but they wanted their own space, right? When you're in a global pandemic, you don't want to be in a big high-rise hotel where you have 200 rooms next to you with a bunch of people. Like, I want my own space, right? And then once they got a taste of it, if they had a good experience, they're like, oh, this was actually pretty cool. Yeah. So it definitely accelerated things.
0: And and it helped people uh, discover vacation places in their own backyard because they couldn't fly. So people were starting to look at what's within driving distance. And so they were like, oh, look, this is, you know, this is four hours away. And, you know, and if it's pet friendly, you could take your dog kind of thing. And so you didn't have to worry about that. I mean, there's just it's really shifted how people view this in a way that's been great for the industry.
2: I was going to say, I don't know if you guys saw, but Airbnb has been launching some great commercials. Have you seen those with the couple's? there's a lot of commercials and there's a beautiful one this is older couple and they're like in this airbnb and there's all these really nice pictures of them and there's like jay-z like the song is like a jay-z song so it's kind of just like kind of this little clash and it's like the latest uh, vacation made possible by hosts and there's like the reality of things right there's people of all ages that are now comfortable using airbnb and this is like an older couple that is like doing the advertising the picture but it's such a beautiful way of like educating that consumer base overall that is like this is perfect for you and if you're an older couple that doesn't want to go in a hotel because you want to have all your spaces like that it's just so great and i would love to know who airbnb made that commercial because that commercial is absolute money i'm
1: That's sure cool. they've got a great marketing budget it's amazing
2: <laughs> i'm gonna send it to you it is amazing every time i watch it i'm just like As a Um, host, it makes me proud. I'm like, that's a great commercial. Like that's an amazing commercial.
1: Yeah. I want to bring up one thing that you brought up a month or two ago. And I wanted to ask Pam this too. So when folks are looking to get their next unit or their next property, how far in advance should they plan to start that whole permitting process? Because that some places can take longer than others. And then you don't want to finish your project and go to launch and be like, oh, wait, I don't have my TDT yet. I can't even get this thing live. So when should yep. people start thinking about that process of like, all right, I should start filling out these forms or calling Avalara and having them do it?
0: At least two to three months in advance is a good is a good baseline. You know, some some jurisdictions are really responsive. We can get it faster. But I would say most were, you know, we're at a 30, 60 day. And that's if we have everything up front and a lot of times what happens is that people don't know what they need to get together and so that's a lot of what we do up front is we're like yep so you've given us this information but you're going to need you know the home inspection's a good example hey yes but you need a home inspection you didn't know that so now you got to go get a home inspection before we can actually finish this permitting process or you need to have the fire department come out and do a fire inspection or something like that and so by the sooner you contact somebody like us or you start to do that research the better off you are because you can start to figure out all the requirements that your particular location has and make sure that you've got everything lined out because if you don't then there's a lot of back and forth with the jurisdiction and it just takes a lot longer whereas if you just have everything ready to go then usually the process is pretty quick and they're usually pretty good about it
2: yeah 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 i, I would like- suggest i tell people all the time is just, as you start researching and you're in the buy, especially if you're one of those people that's going to buy a property, part of the buying due diligence is understanding the registration process so that you know simultaneously what Pam is saying, right? Because if a place, you found your place is going to take you a month to close, but then you know, like you know your timetable because the worst part is having the unit that spent all the money upfront cost to furnish the unit and everything else. And then you realize you didn't do the license and then you're adding two months of time to your timetable where you are ready, you have to start paying your mortgage you put a bunch of stuff on credit cards now what right so make sure that this is part of your due diligence process especially if you're investing in a new market that you're not well averse with exactly
1: so we're we're cruising through our time here so i want to be respectful of pam's time but uh before we get into the last question pam first i want to say thank you so much for coming on here and sharing all these nuggets and again guys like this is this is part of running a business, right? Like you got to understand this stuff and you are running a legitimate business. This isn't like your little side hustle thing and whatever, like you got to treat it like a business. So you got to go through the right processes, get your permits, pay your taxes, like all of these things. That's a fundamental part of running a business in this beautiful country or in this beautiful industry. So we got to get that dialed in. So Pam, thank you for coming on here and sharing that. And where can the folks learn more about Avalara and all the services that you guys provide?
0: Uh, our website's the best place to go, which is pretty simple. It's, you know, www.avalara, which is dot com. Awesome. So thank you. Probably the best place. And, and so, thank you so much for having me. This has been a ton of fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. So the last question that we have, I'll ask all of our guests, and this will be unique for you. So I'm interested to hear your perspective. Uh, but what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals?
0: That's a good question. And I'm going to say it really is compliance and understanding your location, understanding where you what the market is for your location, who are the people that are going to want to come there and how do you deal with that? I, I would say that's the biggest piece, but making sure that you remain in compliance is doing that is really the foundation of success because that's what allows you to stay in business.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. And paying your taxes, guys. You have to pay your taxes.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Then, yep. <laughs> not for to make a bunch of money to end up in jail. You don't want to be right. that person. So. Yeah, yeah. No.
2: You can use it there anyway. So if you end up in jail with a bunch of money, there's not much use for it. So
1: love it. Yeah. Well, Pam, thank you again so much for being on here. Truly appreciate it. Guys, make sure you go check out Avalara. They will make your life so much easier and take all that compliance anxiety off your shoulders. So you can just keep focusing on running and growing your business instead of dealing with all the nitty gritty compliance stuff. Let them just handle it for you. So Pam, thanks again so much. Truly appreciate it. And for everybody, we'll talk to you guys soon. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.